you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 today. That's a joke. No, it's true. Um, and we're going to do it in a short amount of time. That's the joke. Um, hey, so we, we have done recently, um, we had a guest pastor who came and he shared um, in detail the story. And if, if you're turning there now, or if you've already figured it out, or if you know where we're going in the Bible today, you're, you're going to know shortly that we're going to the place in the Bible where Joshua and, and the men of Israel march around the city of Jericho and the walls fall down. So it's one of the favorite Sunday school stories for um, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. But um, in a couple, it's been a month or two now that um, one of the guest pastors came and the, the passage that he shared was out of Joshua 5, 6, 7, and 8 that we're covering today. But he focused on the story of Rahab. And Rahab, as you know, was the harlot who was living in Jericho when the spies came and she hid the spies and um, she, she helped them. And, and then when, when God destroyed the city, he, he saved her and her family out. And so we're not going to spend a ton of time with, with Rahab today. That's been covered. But there's several other things in the story that I want to share with you. And, and, and really the heart of the message um, that I want to share with you guys is um, spirit-filled living. Everybody say spirit-filled. So um, some of you and some maybe many of you have already been baptized. Maybe some of you need to be water baptized. But but 26 people here from our church were, were water baptized um, Friday night. And, and then now what now is the question? Somebody say, what now? What do I do now? Well, I'm going to tell you um, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are a picture of Christian living to a T. Um, as you see the children of Israel and they're in Egypt and they're in bondage and Egypt is a type of what? The world. Egypt is a type of what? A type of what? You guys are so smart. And then they, they, they leave Egypt. It's like you leaving your old life, the old you, and you become a new creation in Christ. They went through the Red Sea, which is a picture of um, water baptism or salvation. And they go, they go through the Red Sea. And then, as you know, they, they come out and they begin this wilderness journey of, of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then they cross, um, symbolically, a second body of water in the next part of their journey, the children of Israel, into the promised land, from Egypt to the promised land. So Egypt represents the world. The promised land could represent our eternity or heaven or where we're headed, our destination, our eternal destination, or in parts, you know, our earthly destination of, of walking with God and living as a part of the kingdom of God as we, as we walk out and put feet, feet to our faith. The second body of water they crossed was the Michael Jordan River. And, and, and that is a symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this second experience of, of growing in Christ and of, of going in. And now they've entered the promised land. And you think, woohoo, where's the line to get on the Colossus and the Matterhorn and Space Mountain? I'm at Disneyland. I am in the promised land. And all I got to do now is just go get on the rides. But yet what you find is after they cross the Jordan and they've, they've, they've come to a point in life, they're spirit filled. And, and again, don't forget this little phrase because I want you to, 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 to receive all of this today in the context that we're talking about spirit filled living. Let's do it one more time. Spirit filled living. And so um, 
In, in this spirit-filled living, you would think that once they reach the promised land, it, it would be Disneyland. But yet what you find, and what did they find when they got to the promised land? There were battles and battles and battles. If you, if you look at um, chapter 4, verse number 13, I guess we could start there. It says about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. So they crossed over what? They crossed over the Jordan River. And the word I want you to underline in verse 13 is for battle. They, they were going to have to battle. And yes, God gave them the promised land. But there were spiritual battles. There were physical battles of giants that they were going to face when they got to the other side. And so um, there are three experiences that we can define that, that a believer has with the Holy Spirit. There's three Greek prepositions or phrases that that are para and a p i should have put it on the board so you could have it and memorize it para p-a p-a-r-a which means alongside or next to or with then then the next one is e-n is a greek phrase n and it's just a funny way the greek spell in and 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 n para and a p n means in the holy spirit comes in and the last one, a P, is overflowing or, or moving through you and filling you, powering you. And so we see this um, in the life of the New Testament believers, these three distinct separate experiences that they have with the Holy Spirit. In my life, practically, the way that that, that worked out and played out was um, when I was um, a year old, my dad died. And my mom had seven kids, and she raised me in a home that, that was, um, we didn't go to church. Um, my mom was always a good person, and, and if you asked her about heaven and hell, it was the good person thing. And, and she was a moral person, and morally she believed herself to be good and believed that God wouldn't judge her based on um, sins, but based on the fact that she was a morally good person, and she was. But we, we grew up with no church and no God. And... But I, and as I look back during those years, my teenage years and my formative years, and I can now, hindsight 2020, I can go back and I could put my finger on multiple places where I could see God's Holy Spirit working in my life. Where God's Holy Spirit was coming alongside me and he was drawing me and he was calling me and he was even protecting me from death and from different situations in my life where God's Holy Spirit was drawing me. He came alongside me. When I was 20 years old, I asked Jesus to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And, and at that night, alone in my bedroom at 20 years old, in March of 1994, I mean 2004, when I was 20, um, the, I, I became born again. On that day, um, they threw a party in heaven because one sinner repented. On that night, God's Holy Spirit came in me. And the, and the phrase that we use, ask Jesus in your heart, it is, is literal because God says that your body is a temple of what? Of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes and makes residency in your life, in my life. About a year later, I was living in Hemet, California. I was attending a small Calvary chapel. I was less than a year old in the Lord and was very green and, and was coming off of a lot of baggage and a lot of um, trash in my life that God was delivering me from slowly. Um, God was trying to deliver me faster than I was wanting to be delivered, but I was, I was walking it out and I was growing and I was starting to read the Bible and I was going to church and, and, and yet I had a lot of the old me that was still coming around from time to time. And, um, 
during that time, again, unique to my experience and unique to everybody because God doesn't, can't put God in a bottle. But I was alone in my room and I, I went through a period of um, God waking me up about five o'clock in the morning, every morning. And I would just be wide awake and I would, I would, I would have, t- I would spend beginning to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in reading the word. And, um, and, and I would just, the next morning I would pop up and, and it was a, it was a quiet time with the Lord. And after, I don't know how long it lasted. I wish it would have lasted forever, but I think a couple of mornings in a row, I just went back to sleep and that went away, but it was a season. But during that season of my life, I was in that bedroom in Hemet, California by myself and um, I was praying, and God filled me with the Holy Spirit, the AP, the third experience. Walking alongside me when I was a young man, coming inside me when I was 20 years old, and then the baptism. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit alone in my room. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know theology. Um, and I began to speak in tongues alone in my room. Nobody coaxed me. Nobody taught me. I didn't go to one of those churches where the pastor said, you just got to say, she came in on a Honda. She came in on a Honda. Just keep repeating that. She came in on a Honda. She came in on a Honda. And then, and then you'll start speaking in tongues. You know, which, so, so my experience for me, um, it helps. Because had I done that, I might have thought, well, was that really the Spirit of God? Or, or was that something that was manufactured by the pastors? And, you know, and, and it was legitimate. It was real for me. And to this day... Um, I, I appreciate my prayer language that God gives me. Um, I, I, I speak in tongues daily. None of you guys have ever, not, not I can't say none of you, because I think there's a few occasions where I felt like um, for uh, purposes of um, releasing somebody's faith and, and teaching that I have spoken tongues out loud, but I don't. I don't speak in tongues in church. Most of you have never heard me speak in tongues. You probably don't even know. Some of you may not even know what that is. But it's a prayer language, and, and I appreciate because I have... Um, it helps in my relationship and walking out my, uh, my walk with Christ when, when uh, I spend some time praying in tongues and praying in the Spirit. So that was my personal experience. For the apostles, Jesus was with them for three years. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he came to them and he met them on the beach. And do you remember what happened? It's in John chapter 21. And, and Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus breathed on them and said this, Receive ye the... King James Version, receive ye the Holy Spirit, okay? And then 50 days later, well, some time had already passed, so sometime between zero and 50 days later, at Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, Peter and the, and the men were gathered in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and, and, and God did what? He sent the Holy Spirit, and Peter began to preach, and, and people began to speak in tongues and understand in their own language, and 3,000 people got saved as they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So for the apostles, were they baptized in the Holy Spirit on the beach when Jesus breathed into them? Let me tell you something. When Jesus breathes on you and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Because that's God who just breathed on you and told you to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? But, but that receiving was their, their born-again experience or that time where God filled them or, or the Holy Spirit entered into them. Because the, the proof being, or just this, the other thing is that then why would, would God tell them to go to, to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit? Because you know Peter or Thomas, one of them dumb, one of them knuckleheads would have said, well, what do I need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit for? You just breathed on me and gave me the Holy Spirit. 
Because there was yet another experience that, that God has for you and I um, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so um, that, that last filling in, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in this thing that we, we a phrase that I think we've coined, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. One is coming after me who will baptize you with, with fire and the Spirit. And then this, this phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, was a separate experience that the apostles had, the disciples had, and that people experienced in Acts chapter 2. And so th- those experiences are modeled for us in the Old Testament with the children of Israel. And the children of Israel's experience is, is, is symbolic of all three of those stages of living. And so um, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, as, as God tells us, I will send my spirit and you will receive power, is what it says. It's a dunamis power. It's a bodybuilder going, whoo, power. The word's dunamis. It, 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 he said, so that you can blank, shoot fireballs out of your eyes, right? Because that's the power, what God does, gives us supernatural powers so that we can spidey crawl walls and, no? So, no, that's not, that's not the power. He said the power was so that you could be a witness, was that so you could share your faith, was so that you can, can bring testimony and witness to other people of, of the truth of God and what God's done in your life. And that's the power of this filling of the Spirit. Now, this whole baptism of the Spirit thing, it gets confusing practically living it, walking it out. Because, you know, I, I went through that season where, man, I was alone in my room and God was waking me up at five in the morning every morning. And I was, you know, my face was glowing and I was spending time with the Lord. And, and I'm alone in my room and one of those times and God pours out His Spirit upon me and I, my, He loosens my tongue. And for the first time, never having heard anybody else pray in tongues, I begin to speak in tongues and pray and I went and told my and, and, and I felt that day you guys from all that bondage that I was in as a young person there was literally this physical weight that was lifted off my shoulders that day and, and it was a victory and God was doing something of, 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 of moving me in, into what, what, what we call as um, sanctification now, now two words in church you need to know the first one is salvation and the next one is sanctification and, and both are kind of interlocking now, you repent once unto salvation. You repent, you, you admit you're a sinner, you ask Jesus Christ in your heart, you're saved, you're born again. When, when you have a real born-again experience, you, nobody can take that from you. Uh, Jesus said, anybody that the Father has put into my hands, of them I've lost none. And nobody can pluck them out of my hands. So you cannot lose your salvation. Now, we, we can have a circular argument. And you can see people who seemingly had a genuine um, experience who were living like hell. And and you say, did they lose their salvation? And some would argue in a circle, no, they didn't lose it. They never had it in the first place. Because once you have it, you cannot lose it. So again, I'm not teaching on whether you can lose your salvation in here or not. Hebrews tells us that that, that there there were those that walked away. Again, I don't open that can of worms. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but once you're saved and born again, then, then that's, that's the first experience with the Holy Spirit. And then um, that's salvation. Then, then sanctification 
is something that you do. Being sanctified is a process of walking out. Because I, I hope you guys understand something about Christianity. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Somebody say a marathon, not a sprint. You, you don't you don't sprint. It's not a forty yard dash. And wow, you you you've done it. Woo! You did that Christian thing. You succeeded. It's a marathon. You'll run your whole life. And, and so somebody can be spiritually mature. And, and you see spiritual maturity. Now, follow me. Hope I don't lose you. Um, spiritual maturity can even be a season of God's Holy Spirit filling you. Because this baptism of the Holy Spirit, yeah, I had that really, really high that day and things were good. And I was in the Spirit, face was glowing. And then I had a time and a season in my, in my Christian walk since then when, when I, I've not really been walking that close with the Lord. And I've been struggling in my walk. And you say, oh, well, you know, and you watch a pastor who's been um, mightily used of God in a real way. And it's not an issue of salvation who falls into moral sin and, and, and leaves a large church. And we can write a book on them because it happens all the time. Leaves some church, runs off with the secretary in the church account. And, and, and you know, starting back with Jimmy Baker and Tammy Faye and, you know, who was, I don't remember now, it was before my day, but, you know, that, that, famous evangelist who was caught in a hotel swaggered or one of those guys with with a male prostitute that's what i said um and 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 so you you look at this and again we we start this circle of god's spirit working in sanctification in someone's life i believe the man was saved he was born again and he had he was so you say well if you're a mature believer then then you won't fall into those or you 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 move past that area of temptation but you don't you never do you see people if you and i if we don't stay close to jesus if we don't stay in love with jesus every day we're 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 just as capable of falling into moral sin i'm very capable of falling into moral sin i'm very capable of going back to my old lifestyle of drugs i have to stay close to jesus i have to stay in love with jesus and you say, oh, well, you've reached a spiritual maturity. I definitely have, have had victories, and, and, I'm, and I, don't, I don't struggle in the same way that I used to. But I'm not above or beyond, nor are you or anybody else, falling. And so maturity even is a season. We go through seasons of maturity in, in, in our Christian walk. Because Paul tells us, and this is the point, you guys, and I'm going to get to, to, to Joshua. The, the point is this, listen. The Bible says, in, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand the experience of spirit-filled living of these three Greek words, pata and a P. And I'm talking about the last one, a P. So if, if you're a born again Christian and you've asked Jesus in your heart, you've already experienced without a doubt the para because nobody comes to the father unless the, and nobody comes to the son unless the father draws him first. And how does the father draw him? He sends his Holy Spirit. What's the job of the Holy Spirit here on earth? It's to convict the world of sins. Okay, John, Gospel of John, read it. To convict the world of sins is the job of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, so you've already been, you've already experienced the first two Greek experiences, Greek word explaining the Holy Spirit, the pata and the end, if you've asked Jesus in your heart. Now, the last one is the one I'm trying to unpack a little bit. Because, because what I was trying to illustrate with swaggered and seasons is that if, if I get filled one time with the Holy Spirit, does that wind me up for the rest of my life? And man, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and now I'm good. No, because, and then Paul, to, to encourage you and I, he says something first really crazy, and I'll tell you that in a minute. And then he says, be, B, 
being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. Be, somebody say, be, being. How do you be, being? You continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many times do you guys pray or hear me pray and I say, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit? God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's something we have to ask for every day. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. And he said, if you want the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you ask. And so we constantly have to be being filled and stay close to Jesus and stay in seasons of maturity. And, and so this, 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 this picture that we're going to see in Joshua is of the Spirit-filled life. But listen, it's full of battles. Now, now the thing the Apostle Paul said that was crazy is he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What you talking about, Willis? Doesn't that go against everything, you know, intellectually that we, we know about salvation that has nothing to do with, with our own works or what we do? And yet Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's he talking about? He's talking about this process of sanctification. You repent once unto salvation. You repent daily and continually the rest of your life unto sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which God takes you from worldly to godly. And it's a process of growth. And how fast you grow, how far you move up on the, on the growth scale is entirely dependent upon you. And, and, and so that's a process. So we're constantly working out our, our sanctification through fear and trembling. Amen? So that, to, to really jam through these couple chapters and highlight a couple verses, um, starting in verse number 13 in chapter 5, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you an adversary? First thing I want you to underline there is he lifted his eyes and looked. doesn't say it in my Bible, but he looked where? He looked up. He lifted up his eyes. Find that phrase over and over again. Unfortunately for um, Lot, when Abraham said, you know, you choose the field, Lot never looked up. Lot saw the plains. He looked to the left. He looked to the right. And he chose the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah because they were well watered. But he never looked up to say, God, what is your will in this situation? What is your will in my life? And here Joshua looks up and he sees and he lifts his eyes and he sees a, a, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. <laughs> My mom used to do that to me all the time. I'd ask her a multiple choice question and she would say, yes. I'd say, to which part? <laughs> he said, are you for us or against us? And she, he said, no. I love his answer there. He said, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So this, this is none other than Jesus Christ. This is what we call a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. The, the, this is the angel of the Lord. And oftentimes when you see that term in the Old Testament, it, it's Jesus himself. So Jesus here appears to Joshua. Um, Joshua bows down and begins to worship him. Angels in the Bible do not receive worship. Multiple times in the book of Revelation, John, an angel appears to John and John falls down. And what does the angel tell him? He says, get up. I'm not God. You don't worship me. And angels will not receive worship. This angel receives worship. 
Okay? So this is Jesus who shows up as the commander of the Lord's army and said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Do you remember when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush and this was Yahweh? What did Yahweh tell Moses to do? Take off his sandals. So this is God who shows up here to Joshua in the form of, of, of an angel, angelic looking being with a sword. And, um, and it says in chapter 6, it says, And now Jericho was securely shut up. Okay, listen, it's a battle. We already read, mark in your Bible there, Joshua 4.13. It's where it says that, you know, we're going we're gonna to cross over this Jordan for battle. And your life and my life in this Christian's life, in the spirit-filled living, don't forget, remember, we're talking in the context of spirit-filled living, that it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And, and, and if we're going to fight battles, we're going to expect to see things securely shut up. And it says in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its kings and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, you and your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do in six days. Then seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. A couple of things to highlight here. Number one, who's, who's giving these instructions to, to Joshua? Jesus, the, the, the general or the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua himself. What is Joshua? Is he, is he a man of war, or is he a Levite and a worship leader and a priest? Joshua is a man of war. Joshua is a soldier. He's a general of the army. He, he's a David type in the Bible. He's a, he's a soldier type. He's a fighter. He's, um, and, and the commander, his commander, and Joshua as the general over the rest of the men, his general, the Lord Jesus, comes to him and gives him commandments. The first thing you notice in these commandments was that they all break Torah. They break the law of Moses. Seven days they're to walk, and on the seventh day, seven times? Well, what about Sabbath? Where do you fit Sabbath in if you're supposed to do work for seven days? So, so the Sabbath, so, so Jesus is giving instructions to Joshua to break the law of Moses. And, and, and then he says that the priests are, are, to, are to lead them in the worship team. Priests were exempt from having to go to battle in the, in the law of Moses. And so we have multiple things that are happening here where, where it, it, it's, it's untraditional and it's, it's a little bit different than the law that God was going to lay out. Now, I just want to tell you why, because we, we have this separation between law and grace, and where Jesus' presence is, those, those things of the law, they go away. And where Jesus' presence is absent today in our churches and in our other places where, where the power of God is, is absent and the presence of Jesus is absent, you have to replace that with these laws. And you need these different rules and regulations to govern you and, and, and that you, you, know, you feel like you need to follow. But when Jesus comes, that all goes away. And when Jesus comes, he leads us. And when Jesus comes, you know, the, Jesus or Paul tells us in the New Testament, let no man judge you on Sabbaths or new moons or what you eat or what you drink and that, that, that it's, it's, it's lawful. 
And so we see Jesus here. And because Jesus is leading, we, we don't need those religious guidelines that, that are following. And, he, and in our churches and in our lives, it's Jesus who, who, who leads us. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of that legalism. We'll get rid of all those rules and regulations. When, unless Jesus is leading us to follow them or to do some of those things. And then it says um, in verse number six, Then Joshua said to the son of Nun, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get a DVD of this moment. Joshua is going to call the priests. He's going to gather the generals. And and Joshua, again, he's a man of war. And he's going to come to the men. He's going to say, men, we're going to fight today. And men, I'm going to lead you into battle. And, And I've spent some time with the Lord, the commander, the general of our army, and he's given me the battle plan. And the generals are probably getting really excited. They're going, oh, sweet. He said, are we going to tunnel under the city? Are we going to go over the top? Are we going to batter around the wall? And send, are we going to shoot the archers first? And Joshua says, no, we're going to um, send the worship team. And we're going um, to march around the city with the priests and the pastors. And, and we're going to sing songs. And then we're going to yell real loud. They're going to go, no, oh, we're doomed. We're, we're going to die. And, and, and yet... Joshua had no problem um, following the commandment, even though it was crazy. Do you realize the specific um, instruction of God in your life is irrelevant? If God came to, to Joshua and he said, stand on your head till your ears turn red and then, and then hoot and holler and the walls are far down, he, they would have done it. Joshua would have been willing to follow and in your life and in my life. Listen, God doesn't call us to understand. He calls us to obey. Amen? Dude, that'll tweet. God doesn't call us to understand. God calls us to obey. And, and so um, the, 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 the beauty here is that it's crazy what God's calling him to do, but he does it that way purposely. He did the same thing in the life of Gideon, right? In the same story with Gideon where, you know, you have too many men and take a, li- a lantern and put a pot over it and break the pot and yell and blow the trumpets. And so they come, and so he tells them the plan, and then and then that's going to skip us down a little bit as the as um, Joshua is going to let's look at verse ten. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, "You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I say to you, shout, and then you shall shout." And then in verse sixteen, in the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpet that Joshua said to the people, "Shout, for the Lord has given you this city." Now, here's the other thing I want to encourage you guys with this morning. How many times did they walk around the city? Once a day, seven days, and then seventh on the last day, 14 times around the city. So if they quit after the fifth time because the wall didn't fall down, if they quit after the sixth time, the seventh time, the eighth time, the ninth time, you know, you have to stay persistent in the things that God's called you to do. Because it, it was the 14th time this day that, that the wall was going to fall down. You know, in John chapter 2, they, they called Jesus. Um, he went to the wedding ceremony in, 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 in Cana of Galilee. And they ran out of wine. And in his first miracle, Jesus makes wine. And, and Jesus tells the servants to, to get the water pots and fill them with water. What was interesting is that they, they gathered six water pots that all held two or three firkins each, the King James tells us. What's a firkin? Is that something you do with your butt? You, oh, that's twerking. I'm sorry. 
Um, a firkin is is a is a measurement that that God you that that that's a real measurement that means ten gallons. So each pot was twenty to thirty gallons of water, six pots. Now, do, do you think they went to the hose and put it in and turned the hose on? Two thousand years ago, where did they get their water? In the well, hopefully, river maybe sometimes, hopefully the well. But still, you got to either pump the well or you got to put the rope down and pull the water up. And a bucket in the well, six times 30 gallons. How's your math? 180 gallons of water? 180 gallons that Jesus turned into wine? You think they had enough wine at that potty? And, and, and had, they, had they phoned it in, had, had they just come and got lazy and just filled the water pots half full or partially full, that's the only miracle they would have received in their life. That's the only thing they would have saw. But they filled them. And, and, and thank God that those people were diligent. And they kept going to that well as many times. And who knows how many trips it took to go to the well and, well and fill those water pots. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a, of a guy. And, and, the, and, and Elijah tells him, go and tap your arrows on the ground for victory. And he goes and he taps them three times on the ground. And they have a partial victory. And Elijah says, you should have tapped them seven times. You should have went thorough. You should have, you should have went all out and, and continued in the Lord. And so, you know, don't phone it in. Don't phone in your walk with the Lord. Don't phone in your sanctification, your relationship. The spirit-filled life is full of battles. But, and, and trust the Lord no matter what. Seven, it took some, um, it took some obedience. Now, the... Did the Lord need them to walk around the wall 14 times and blow trumpets to knock the wall down? Is that, was that the magic potion? Was that, was that the, you know, the witch's, witch's ingredients for, for the wall to fall down magically? Could God have just knocked the wall down all by itself? So why then, what was God's purpose for making them go through this seven-day process this ridiculous plan. What do you think the people of Jericho thought? Unfortunately for them, it wasn't going to matter because they were, they were going to be dead in like no time flat. But, but for a couple of days before they went to meet Jesus, they, um, they're watching the, the, the Hebrews travel around the city with instruments and the Ark of the Covenant and the worship team out front and no soldiers and blowing horns. Probably thought they were crazy. But, but, but it was the work that God was doing among his people. There was a process that God wanted them to go through to teach them patience, to teach them perseverance, to cause them to, to be obedient no matter what. God's called you to be obedient no matter what. He's not called you to understand. If you don't understand your finances and you, you try to, to, to base your tithe and your giving and your, your, your on, on what you make and what you can afford, it's never going to work because God's not called you to understand. He's called you to be obedient. In every area of your life, if it's raising your kids, if it's your work, if it's, it's not a matter of understanding, it's a matter of obedience. And if the process is difficult, there's a reason for it. And it's not for God's purposes. He could have knocked the wall down. His purposes are for you and what he's teaching you in your life. So stay in the battle, continue to march. And if God says march seven times around the city and seven more times the last day, just do it. Hey, we should coin that phrase. We make some money, just do it. Let, let's um, let's look at verse eighteen. Five more minutes, and we're going to land this plane. 
It said, and you, by means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make, camp, make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold, vessels, bronze, iron, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come in the treasury of the Lord. So in this particular battle at Jericho, God said, all of the spoils are mine. 100% of them. Everything that, that you spoil from, um, everything that you that you take in this battle, you bring it into the storehouse of the Lord. And make sure you don't take any of it because you'll bring a curse upon not only yourself, but upon God's people. So they go in and they, um, you, you know the, the, the rest of the story. They battle there. And then um, they, they take everybody out. And, it's, and they killed all the mothers, fathers, um, the the animals they wiped everything out except for verse 25 and joshua spared rahab the harlot her father's house and all that she had so she dwells in israel to this day because she hid the measure whom joshua sent to spy out jericho then joshua charged them at that time saying cursed be the man before the lord who rises up and builds this city jericho he shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall set up its gates so you guys remember Rahab? Rahab laid the scarlet thread out of her window. Was it necessary for her to lay that scarlet thread out the window for the, for the um, people that Moses sent? I'm sorry, that Joshua sent to find her? No, absolutely not. Why? The walls of Jericho just fell down. She lived within the city walls. Her house was in the wall of, of Jericho. And God spared her house. So he could have just said, you don't need to look for the scarlet thread. Just go find the one house that's still standing in all, in, in all the wall of Jericho. But, but like baptism, she did it anyways. And it, was a, it wasn't a matter of her getting saved. She didn't need the scarlet thread to get saved. Water baptism doesn't save you. It's an outward sign of what's already taken place in your heart. And she was already saved. And yet she did it anyways, as we, we should be water baptized. And so we get this little picture of, of water baptism that, that it's not necessary, but we do it anyways. And they find, they find Rahab, and, and they, they, they spare her. Now, to me, the most powerful part of the story of Rahab. Now, Rahab, what was her profession? Was she a baker? Seller of purple? Uh, what did she do? Was she a school teacher? She was a hooker. She was a prostitute. Bible makes no bones about it. She's mentioned three times in the New Testament. And coincidentally, God doesn't always list people's sins in the New Testament. We learn those stories from the Old Testament, but she's still called Rahab the harlot in the New Testament. So, so this is a woman who men would come to her house and who knows how she got there, why she got there. Maybe her husband died. She couldn't afford whatever the reason was in her thing. She couldn't provide. She resorted to that lifestyle, which is so too prevalent in our in our culture in our society today and is affecting our culture in so many ways these these young girls who are resorting to that to sell their bodies to make money but she's this type of woman and you realize that um after this point that that she leaves that lifestyle she she then has to get married and have a normal life and have kids because rahab is the great 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 23 more times great grandmother of jesus christ and that God used her. She's mentioned in his genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. She's mentioned in Hebrews. James mentions her as a picture of, of, of faith that works. And Rahab, she was a harlot. She, she, and, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus. I heard a pastor tell a true story about uh, a young prostitute in his church. 
and um, she got saved, and um, she was she was starting to come to church, and the pastor's son of the church fell in love with her, and he was going to marry her, and, and everybody was throwing a fit, and they didn't like it, and he, even his own mom was kind of having a hard time with it, and people in the church were talking back, but, you know, that he was making a terrible choice for, for marrying this woman who was a former prostitute, and he got up in front of the church, and he said, you know, concerning my fiance, that's that's none of your business. I am going to marry her. And he said, but I want to tell you something. My fiance is not what's on trial here, but it's the grace of God that's on trial. It's the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus Christ that you don't believe in. It's the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus Christ that's on trial. And then he gives us Rahab. And Jesus says, yo, that's my grandma. And so you want to talk bad about, about Rahab? You're talking bad about Jesus' grandma. Great, 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 great grandma. But he, he puts one in his own family line, his own tree, several of them, just, just to illustrate that God's grace is sufficient. And so we have that powerful. I said I wasn't going to preach Rahab today, and I'm not going to, and we are going to wrap up right now. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story because we're going to land this plane. But um, Joshua chapter 7, I want you to look at verse number 20. I'm just going to tell you what happened. Um, th- there was a guy there named Achan. And Achan goes into a tent. And, and it's funny because it, he looks around. He looks to his left and to his right. We talked about that already. And he doesn't see any of his fellow soldiers. And, and he sees a chest there and in a camp hidden. And he knocks the lock off. And he opens the chest. And in it he finds a big lump of gold. He finds a really, really nice Armani suit that's his size. Okay, a tunic or whatever they wore, but he found a really nice one and, and, and some silver in this box. And he looked around and nobody was there. The funny thing was Achan stole this stuff and he knew that it was supposed to go where? To the house of the Lord. Because God said, you can't have this stuff. This stuff is mine. And so what did he do? Did he put it under his shirt and come out like pregnant? And, oh, guys, I got to use the bathroom. I'm not feeling so good. Hey, you look a little heavy. Oh, I've been gaining some weight. No, you haven't, you liar. What's under your shirt? Somehow he had to get this stuff off, out of there. He takes it back. He buries it under his tent. The crazy thing for this poor guy, Aiken, was what would happen like a week later if he shows up in this brand new Armani suit that he found in that tent? Couldn't do it. They're going to look at him and go, hey, where'd you get that? And he has this big gold chain that he made out of that nugget that he found, you know, in his Armani suit with his gold chain walking around camp. Something's not right with Aiken. Aiken, where'd you get that gold chain and where'd you get that Armani suit? I don't know. You stole that from a- or you stole that from Jericho, didn't you? So he couldn't even use the stuff. There's no way he could put the tunic on. There's no way he could use the gold or sell the gold. So he steals this stuff from God, buries it under his tent, and let it be a lesson for us. Listen, he couldn't even benefit from this stuff. And God told him not to do it in the first place. So then as the story goes on, um, they go and they, 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 they sack Jericho and they're going on to Ai. And Ai means, uh, 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 literally it means a heap or a dump. Or um, Ai, the, the, the city was a trash heap. It was a dump. And they're going to go to Ai. And Ai is a smaller city and easily sackable. And so Joshua does not seek the Lord. And the men say, ah, oh, we don't even need to send the army. Just send a few thousand soldiers up and wipe them suckers out. And so they go up and they're, and, and, and they're getting their butts kicked. And Joshua tears his clothes and he repents. And he says, God, what's going on? And God says, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. So Joshua starts um, 
bringing the men and the tribes and, and he's narrowing them down and, and God is selecting a certain tribe and then he selects a certain family and then a certain line and, and he gets to this guy Achan and he says, Achan, what have you done? And Achan says, I have sinned. And he tells him what he did and the men that died in the battle and then Achan is killed and all of his family for taking this forbidden fruit that God didn't want. And it's the, you know what breaks my heart for this poor guy Achan? Jericho was the only city that God didn't let him have the spoils. God, God, it wasn't that God didn't want these guys to have this stuff. It wasn't just wasn't the time. God says to you, not now. Yes, no, and not now. Yes, no, not now. Those are God's answers. And this answer was not now. It wasn't no. And he's throwing this baby fit. I want his gold. They go to Ai, the next city. And God says, and not only Ai, but then as, as they go on through the book of Joshua, conquering, 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 every place God says, you guys keep all the spoils. They're yours. That Achan would have been a rich dude. He would have had everything. God wanted to bless him. But there was this one forbidden fruit. It was a tomato in the Garden of Eden that Eve was not allowed to eat. Yes, it was definitely a tomato. Because that's an evil fruit. And, 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 and yet all the others she could have. And you know what? We want forbidden fruit. We want to have sex outside of marriage. We want, to, we want to do all these things that, that God forbids, not because he, 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 has, he wants you to have sex. Lots of it. Enjoy it. He just wants you to do it in the right way. Not in Jericho. Wait till you get to Ai, because that's all yours. And this poor guy just threw his life away. Not only did he die and his family died, just the pain of sin, because there was sin in the camp. And, and God, God wants to bless you. I heard a really good illustration of this. It was, you know, do you know that the company Apple hates you guys? Product Apple. You know why they hate you? Because they give you an iPhone and they tell you you cannot go, go jump in the swimming pool or the ocean with your iPhone in your pocket. You think, oh, they hate me. They don't want me to swim with my iPhone. No, dummy, they don't hate you. If you get in the ocean with your iPhone, it's going to break. It's going to fry. So they don't, they're, they're trying to save you from ruining your phone. God doesn't hate you because he doesn't want you to do A, B, C, D, sex outside of marriage, drugs, um, um, pornography, on and on and on and on. He doesn't hate you, but it's going to ruin your life. Just like swimming's going to ruin your iPhone. And he has all those things for you. He has all the blessings that you're looking for if you'll just wait till you get to AI. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for your word. God, we thank you for the power and the truth that's found in your word. Lord, I pray that you bless our lives. Lord, I pray that our, our, our people in here this morning would just um, reflect. And we don't have time now, Lord. It's unfortunate to spend a, just some moments seeking you and praying and letting you minister. And maybe there's sin in our camp. And maybe like, like, like the nation of Israel and, and AI, we're not moving forward because we have to deal with this sin. And I pray, Lord, for anybody in here who, who's dealing with sin in their lives. Lord, they know what it is because your Holy Spirit is, is pounding their heart with it right now. And Lord, I pray that, that as your Holy Spirit is speaking what that sin is, God, that your people in here would make a choice right now to repent, to say they're sorry, to ask for forgiveness and truly turn from that sin. And God, because you have a blessing for them, Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't rob ourselves of the joy of the blessing that you have for us. And Lord, we, we thank you for... Um, Joshua and who, who stepped out in faith and didn't matter what you said. We thank you for them being persistent and marching around the city 14 times. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. God